Well, good morning, guys. It's good to be here as always, and um, man, what a beautiful day uh, to, to be here in, at church. We had a great first service, and i um, excited about today. Thank, thanks, everyone, for joining in online as well. Um, uh, if you don't know, we are on Facebook and YouTube and our website. Uh, so every week we've got people joining in, and it's interesting to hear stories of, hey, I was able to watch this, uh, this sermon or this whole series, and uh, it, it's, it's just amazing. We get an email sometimes, got an email from someone in Louisiana a couple weeks ago that had been watching. Uh, it's, it's just interesting how uh, the word gets out, so uh, I love that. So today uh, we get to continue our series called One Another, and um, so many One Another commands in Scripture uh, I, this has been a good series, talking about how we need community, how we need each other. Um, I'll start off this morning. Um, I like to hike. Uh, Jennifer and I both, we like to get outside. And don't you think we live in like one of the most beautiful places in the world? Um, love it. Love getting outside. We're not far from Mount Rogers and all the, the hiking up in Grayson Highlands there. Uh, you can go down Pilot Mountain and Hanging Rock, down or Stone Mountain, all these different beautiful hiking places around. Um, we, we try to get out and hike as much as we can. A couple years ago, we were hiking um, down there where my son goes to college, down in western North Carolina, uh, near Fontana Dam. Uh, if you've never seen, Fontana Dam is incredible to see. And uh, the Appalachian Trail crosses over. And we were hiking a little part of the Appalachian Trail there. And we were hiking. And um, it was interesting. Um, I, I, we, were, we were talking. And I was turned around backwards like while I was walking, uh, which is usually not a good thing. And, and talking to Jennifer, and she's behind me. And she's like, I'm not joking. There's a bear right there. And I'm like, yeah, yep, there's a bear right there. We hiked up on a, a, a black bear, and it was about, I mean, of course, if I tell a story, I'm like, yeah, I could have touched it. But it was like 20 feet away, but we made good eye contact. I mean, he looked at me, and I looked at him, we're like, okay. Uh, and so I'm like, just, you know, just kept talking, just started walking backwards, back up the trail. And he kind of looked at us, looked, and then just kind of walked down the hill, went off, and and, you know, and that, that, was, that was that. But it, it was kind of interesting. It reminded me it's not a good idea to hike by yourself. And I told uh, Jennifer later, I'm like, you know, I really didn't have to outrun the bear. Yeah. I only had to outrun you. <laughs> and um, she didn't think that was too funny. Um, but it was, you know, when you think about it, bears can actually run like 35 mile an hour. You know that, right? Yeah, and climb trees. You're, you're, yeah. So, anyway, it was it was a nice bear, um, but when you go hiking, um, it, you do have to learn, right? It's it's not a good idea to hike by yourself. And there's one reason is bear and the wildlife out here. Another reason is if you get hurt, if you struggle, it, it's nice to have someone there that can help you along the way. Today we're going to be talking about how we bear one another's burdens. Uh, and, and what that means and what that looks like in the Christian life. And I'm afraid that so many times people view the Christian life as this like solitary walk through the woods. Like I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. Um, and, and the problem with that, right, is that's not what Christianity looks like. Uh, the scripture is full. Almost 250 times in the New Testament, Christians are called brother, sister, brethren. Uh, over 50 different one another commands in Scripture. 
Uh, and think about this. These Christians were from different cultures, different backgrounds, different races. In a single church fellowship, there would be uh, male and female. There would be poor and rich, slave and free, uh, Jews and Greeks and Romans, all coming together and all worshiping together. The thing that united them was not what they looked like or where they lived. It was their faith in Jesus. And that's what brought them together. Galatians 3 says this. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I just kind of want to share that this morning as we start thinking about this whole idea of one another's. What I love about Cornerstone is people from all walks of life, people from all different backgrounds, all different places. And yet when we come together, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're doing this life together. Uh, and so today, I want to kind of, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, if you got your Bibles, you can flip there. We'll be there in a minute. We'll put it on screen too as well. Um, and in Galatians 6, uh, Paul really highlights the importance of doing life together. How we bear one another's burdens. But before I get there, I've got to set up the context uh, I think it's always important when you study a Bible passage to understand the context. Why was he writing? Who was he writing to? What preceded it? And, and so in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking about this battle that we're all in. And that he, he kind of compares and contrasts the sins of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And so in Galatians 5, he's talking about that we're in this struggle. We're in this battle. Our, our sinful nature is... It's kind of tempting us. Satan is tempting and, and enticing us to do things that are contrary to God's word and contrary to God's will. And so we're in this battle. Uh, you know, in Romans 7, it talks about I don't do what I know I should do and what I want to do I don't do. And this whole kind of idea that, that we're in this struggle sometimes when we give in to the flesh. But then he contrasts that with, but when we're in Jesus... Uh, when we uh, allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, we, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is developed in us. The love and the joy and the peace, patience, good, and all that, that starts growing in us, enabling us by the power of the Spirit within us uh, to not give in to the sinful nature. And so it's in that context then that we get, and remember, I, I, I think we forget this sometimes. When the Bible was written, they didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, right? That came much later. So think of this as one continual thing here. So we go straight from that talk about the fruit of the Spirit into chapter 6. Um, and Galatians, the end of Galatians 5, it says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Now, some versions say, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love that, that thought, that mental picture here, right? Um, that that's what it looks like when we uh, are living by the Spirit. We follow the Spirit's leading wherever it takes us. And that kind of brings me to my first point this morning, um, is we need to understand, before we jump in, we've got to understand the Bible is a story of redemption and restoration. So before we understand how we bear one another's burdens, I think we all have to realize the brokenness 
we all have to realize the lostness. We all have to realize that we all need redemption and restoration. This is what puts us on a level playing field. This is kind of what enables us then to reach out with compassion and empathy and, and, and with, with love, really, to a world all around us. When you read the Bible, you realize that it's a story. It's a true story, but it's a narrative story of, about God. God is the main character. And from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, it tells the story of how God reveals himself to us, how God created the world, how he reveals himself, and how we were separated from God because of our sin, how he made a way for us to be brought back to himself, to be reconciled to himself, and that is through Jesus. And then that's not the end of the story. Then he's coming back, and one day we will be with him forever for all of eternity in the perfected world the way it should have been uh, that it was intended to be that's the story of the bible we play a very minor role in that because everything in the story points to jesus everything in the old testament points forward to jesus everything in the new testament is about jesus and so it's the story about god but it's a story of redemption it's a story of why we need God in our life. It's a story of our brokenness and our sinfulness. Um, I remember reading an article years and years and years ago. It was called The Scarlet Thread of Redemption. Uh, and I know there's been some messages preached about that by many different pastors over the year. But the article I read was by a Baptist preacher, W.A. Criswell from Texas. And I went back and I looked and I found that article that I'd read. And this is what it said. It said, the Bible is a book of redemption. It is that or it is nothing at all. It is not a book of history, science, anthropology, or cosmogony, which is the study of the beginning of the universe. It's the book of salvation and deliverance for lost mankind. The idea in the word redemption is twofold. It refers to a deliverance. And it refers to the price paid for that deliverance, which is a ransom. We are redeemed from the penalty of sin and from the power of Satan and evil by the price that Jesus paid on the cross for us. And we are redeemed to a new freedom from sin, to a new relationship to God, and to a new life of love by the appropriation of that atonement for our sins. The whole of the Bible whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, it looks to the mighty redemptive atonement of Christ. His blood sacrifice is the ransom paid for our deliverance. He took our sinful nature upon himself in order that he might satisfy the demands of the law. His sacrifice is accepted as the payment for the debt the sinner man owes to God. And his death is accepted as the full payment for man's deliverance. The whole Bible, it's a story of redemption. And when we realize that, right, it helps us understand our place in that story. It helps us see how God is moving and working all around us and how He has invited us into that process of redemption and restoration. In fact, right, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, which is that whole passage that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that great exchange that takes place, um, it says that we have now been given the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile people to God, reconcile people to each other. 
that again, it shows this idea of the one another's throughout Scripture. Um, it, it's, it, it's interesting, right? We see how the blood of Christ, it runs throughout the entire Bible. Uh, we can see it symbolically, all the way going back to the animals that were killed in Eden to provide garments for Adam and Eve. The ram that took Isaac's place as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. The Passover lamb that was slain. Or, or the sacrificial system and, the, and the, just the, the, the thousands of years of sacrifices performed at the tabernacle and then later the temple. We can see the, the scarlet, the scarlet um, rope of Rahab that symbolized that deliverance. We can see uh, John the Baptist as he came and proclaimed, this is the, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. We see this idea of deliverance throughout the Bible. And I think if we're not careful, right, we forget that sometimes. If we're not careful, we forget that we are broken. We forget about the deliverance. We forget about the redemption and restoration. And, and it's so easy for, for churches. And I think the longer you exist, the more, this, this is, the more pull this has. As you start thinking church is about us. You think it's about my preferences and what I get out of it. And, and we think that church, we forget about, it's about rescuing people. It's about people going from death to life. Last week we talked about um, this whole idea that um, we're all broken. There's no perfect people. There's no perfect churches. I, just, I, I feel like this week is almost a, a part two of, of that message. Last week we talked about how we are to instruct one another, teach one another, and even admonish one another. And, that, and that's tough to do. That's tough to do. But when we realize we're all broken, we realize we all need rescuing, we realize we're all sinners in need of a Savior, that helps us kind of put everything together. And so in Galatians 5, I mentioned Paul talked about the conflict between our sinful desires and the better way of being led by the Spirit. So now we can get to Galatians 6. Having understand everything I've kind of given as a background, Galatians 6, chapter 1, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. We're all in this together. Right. I mean, we, we see this. We're all part of the body of Christ. We all need each other. We're all sinners. We all need the help of others to grow in our faith. Uh, we're called to love one another. And this includes sharing each other's burdens. And so what Paul is going to do here, he's going to give us a model for life inside of a church. Th this model is for those who are more mature in their faith to help those who are struggling. It's to work together. It's to hold each other up. It's to bear one another's burdens, as we'll keep reading. Paul, notice that Paul, he doesn't say anything about condemnation. He doesn't say anything about humiliation. But he says, restore them with gentleness. And that's the goal. Anytime we confront sin, anytime we look at the life of our friends, we should be wanting them to have a restored relationship with God. And we do that out of love, and we should want our friends to do the same to us. Um, and if we start 
the problem, though, I think, and again, I think the longer we're in church, the more we just start developing this idea of a holy huddle, that, that we're holy and everybody else is not, and we start thinking, it's again, it's all about us and, and what we need to learn. And, and the truth is, in most churches, right, you can learn about how to serve others, you can learn about how to love each other, but you don't have many opportunities to do it. We're good at, do, we can understand the Greek, but we're not good at putting it into practice, right? And, and so we've got to get to that place where we're not better than anybody else. Romans 12 says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. We've got to understand, we're not, we don't look down. The problem with the Pharisees is they look down on everybody else. That's why Jesus had such strong words of condemnation for them. They thought they were more spiritual. They thought they were better. They looked down on everybody else with a judgmental attitude, thinking they're not spiritual enough. And obviously, I mean, we know as Christians that shouldn't be us, but how often does that actually happen? We've got to remember, Colossians 1 says this, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. We've been rescued from death to life. We've been brought out of darkness. We've been brought into the kingdom of of Jesus. He is now our ruler, our master. Everything we do should point to Him. And so we had to be redeemed from sin so that we could be restored to fellowship with God. Restoration is the essence of redemption. And so once we get that kind of picture in our our mind, that helps us to move forward then to talk about the rest of this passage. And that brings me to my second point. We are called to be a community that shares our burdens. This is where it can get messy But this is where, man, you see so much transformation and life change happen. Um, Paul started chapter 6 by saying we have to help those who are struggling in their sin. We restore them gently. So how do we do that? Galatians 6, verse 2 and 3. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, we have this idea of don't look down on others, right? But we say, he says here to carry one another's burdens. Some versions will say bear one another's burdens. Some say share one another's burdens. This gives you an idea of what the word really means. So what is a burden? Uh, the word burden here, it means a weight of personal and eternal significance. I mean, this is like something that that we carry around on us that's so heavy. We can't continue on. Um, And and so we should bear each other's burdens. This means we should be willing to help others who are struggling. It means we're patient. We're understanding. We're compassionate. It means we do what we can to make their load lighter. I was thinking about this, and it reminded me of uh, my younger days, and uh, I was in the Boy Scouts, and I mentioned I loved hiking. We did a lot of backpacking. Um, so I was able to go out to a Boy Scout camp out in uh, New Mexico a couple times, actually, uh, backpacking. We'd go on trips like 80 to 100 miles backpacking. Uh, and so back then, the backpacks were heavy. 
Uh, I mean, we had the big external frame packs, and now everything's super ultra light and expensive. Back then, we just found whatever we could take, and we just threw it on our back and hiked. I mean, that was, that was the old days, right? And so we had these heavy packs. The first time I went, I was kind of younger. Um, uh, and so the second time I went, um, I was a little bit older. You know, I was like a 16, 17, well, it was 1988. So that, that, I'm dating myself here a little bit, right? Um, this is a long time ago. And so I went, and I was in better shape, and I was older then. And so what we did, um, I just remembered, like, and we didn't make a big deal about it, but the older guys on the trip, we kind of looked at, at what everybody had brought and packed, and, and we started with the younger guys, and we're like, well, let me take this for you, and let me take this. And, let me, and what we did, we started taking the heavy stuff out of their packs, and we put it in our packs, Right? And what we were doing, we were lightening their load. We were carrying some of their burden to make it where they could have a better experience. Right? They wouldn't struggle so much. And we didn't do it out of uh, condescension or looking down. We just did it because, man, we were, we were more mature. We were able to do that. And I started thinking about that. And I'm like, man, that is such a good picture of what the Christian faith should look like. It's such a picture, right? We should look down at those who are less mature and those who are struggling and say, how can I help lighten your load? It's not taking the load away from them, as we'll discover as we keep going here. It's saying, how can I walk alongside you and encourage you? Uh, let me give you an example of that. The church at Antioch was a good example. They heard about a famine in Judea. And so what they said, how can we help them? We don't know them. They're not like, but they're still our brothers and sisters. They took up a, a collection. And you can read about this in, in Acts chapter 11. They took up a collection and sent it to Judea to help them. And what, they, what were they doing? They were lightening their load. You heard about Care Portal this morning. It's a neat system, right? It, you get emails and you find out about needs right here in our community. You may, you may not be able to, to meet that entire need, but you say, I can give $25 towards this and help it. Or maybe I have something I can help. What are you doing? You're, you're lightening the load for someone who is struggling. You're sharing that burden. You're, you're, you're bearing one another's burden. That's the picture we have right here in Scripture. The idea is that we're called to walk with one another and to, to spur one another on towards holiness. And in times of struggle, we need each other's help. And so we've got to think about practical ways we can do this. And so, so many times we look at that other person that's struggling and we say, we don't want to help them because they've made this mess themselves. If they hadn't have sinned, they wouldn't be in this predicament. They need to, they, and, and so we look, at, we look at someone who is struggling, and instead of extending a hand down and helping them back up, instead of bringing them back, restoring them gently, what do we do? We step back and start throwing stones. Maybe you've heard this quote. I've heard it over and over again over the years, but uh, the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. You heard that? Shouldn't be that way. Right? I mean, you would kind of expect the world to give up on somebody, to condemn each other. All right? We live in a whole cancel culture where that happens left and right. But the church should be different. 
The church should be different when we see someone struggling instead of condemning them. Why don't we encourage them and teach them and instruct them, admonish them, exhort them, do whatever we can to help them get back on the path and keep going on the hike that they're on. That's the picture of, of the Christian life. And so when we see each other struggling, do we help lift them up? Do we help lighten their load? Do we extend grace and mercy? Again, this is why I feel like this week is kind of a part two to last week's message. It, it kind of ties in together. And so that's that we, and then that kind of brings me to my, to my third point. How do we do this collectively? We've got to create a church culture of restoration and healing. We've got to create a, a church culture of restoration and healing. Every church has a culture. Okay. Uh, most churches have a mission statement or a vision statement or a motto or a slogan or core values. They have all this stuff. That is not the culture. Can I just tell you? It doesn't matter what you state. That is not going to be your church culture. The church culture simply boils down to how do you treat each other? How do you treat each other? That's it. And if you don't treat each other with kindness and love and respect and dignity and, and you don't treat each other that way, it doesn't matter what your website says. It, it, we've got to get to the place where we have a culture that's determined, uh, on that, that, that is focused on being like Jesus. And so, uh, so many churches, I'll tell you, you've, you've, got, you've got different cultures. You've got churches where the culture, the predominant culture is, we've got to pretend like everything and everybody is perfect and okay. You get to church, how was your day? Oh, I'm great. How was your week? It's perfect. Your marriage is falling apart, but you're too afraid to admit it. All right, that's a church culture of pretending like and covering up true life. There's church cultures where um, what I would call a country club culture where people come together and they're like, well, what, is, what can I get out of this experience? What are the benefits to me being a part of this fellowship? What are the perks to joining? And so it's like, okay, um, I, I, I want you to do a different style of music because I don't like this music. I don't like this, and I'm not going to give unless you do this. And it's all about, and, and I'll tell you, most churches, it's like 90% of their activities and programs are geared towards people who are already inside the church. That's a country club mentality. It's a country club culture, right? We, some, and I would say even some churches have a culture where it's just anything, it looks no different than the world. Anything goes, and that's not holy either. So, what does it, we need a culture that defines cornerstone, a culture that makes us focus on Jesus, a culture where we are working together, a culture where we believe in these one another's of Scripture. A culture where we are real and honest and authentic in our faith. A culture where we're, we're not afraid to reach down and help those who are struggling. A culture that, that reflects Jesus more than the world. And I'm just telling you, the way that happens is not through any statement or any sermon. It's just how we day in and day out choose Jesus over and over and over and over again. And the only way you do that is by spending time with Him. The only way you do that is by getting in His Word. It means we look out for one another. It means we truly care about each other. 
I, I just be honest, I, I'm afraid that so many times we don't do this because we really don't care about each other. We care about ourselves and our comfort and what we uh, are doing and our plans, and we don't want to be we don't want to be distracted from that. And I know, okay, we're talking about all this. We're talking about serving and helping. And, and I know that sometimes some of your objections are going to be, but Mike, if we really did this, if we really got serious about helping other people, there are going to be people that take advantage of that. <laughs> people, guys, there'll, there'll be people who take advantage of our kindness and generosity. There'll be people who... Uh, kind of abuse the system, so to speak. Right? And I feel like Paul kind of anticipated that thought as well in his teaching here. Because when we get to verse 4 and 5, he keeps going about this. And he says, okay, if you want to be healthy and you want to have a culture of doing this, that you, you've, you, there's almost like a, a, a kind of a, you know, an exclamation here. You need to be sure about this. And he said this, verse 4, Let each person examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone, not compare himself with anyone with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. So we have this idea here, again, don't compare yourself to anybody else. It's between you and God. Do what God calls you to do. But each person has to carry his own load. We just said, though, we've got to share each other's loads. We've got to carry each other's loads, but now you've got to carry your own load. Does that seem like a contradiction to you? Right, two, I mean, verse 2 to verse 5 here, we have this contradiction, an apparent contradiction, where we've had to bear one another's burden, but then we have to carry our own load. Well, sometimes we have to go back and kind of study the underlying language to see. And the idea here is this load that we each have to carry is a load that is non-transferable. Each person has a response. Have, we have certain things in our life that we have to do on our own. There's certain things we have to take responsibility for, right? We have a responsibility to our family. We have a responsibility to our church. We have a responsibility for our own holiness. No one else can come into my life and do that for me. I have to do it. I have to carry that load myself. And so there's this idea, there are loads that are, you're unable to bear by yourself. Those are the ones we share. And then there's responsibility for the things that only you can do by yourself. And so, I'll just tell you, um, there's a book that we read, a bunch of us read a a few years ago, um, called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without uh, Without Hurting the Poor or or Hurting Yourself. Um, We read it, kind of our benevolence ministry. I I think I've mentioned it before. It's a good book, because it talks about how so many times when we try to help people, we actually make it worse. Right? Uh, we think about um, think about how the government tries to fix everything. Here's money. Here's money. Here's money. Here's money. Does that really fix problems? Um, because it's not getting at the root of the problem. It's not really showing compassion and care. It's like I'm too busy to get involved with this to really fix the problem. So here's money. And and, and that's the danger I think for churches too. We're like, well, if we want to fix something, here's money. Uh, it takes a lot more effort. It takes a lot more care to, to sit down with someone. What are your struggles? How can we help? What are the issues? And to walk with them through it to help lighten their load. 
Uh, that book talks a lot about mission trips too. And I would say a lot of churches are rethinking how you do short-term missions because uh, for so many years the church would roll in and like, here we are, we fix everything and we do everything. And, and then they leave and they leave more damage in their wake than what they fix. And I'm so thankful for our, our ministry partners in Nicaragua because when we go, it's not like we're here to do everything. It's like we get there and we're like, how can we serve you? How can we walk alongside you? How can we help? Um, and so during COVID, when North American mission teams weren't going into Nicaragua and couldn't go in, um, I was so thankful to see that the work of the ministry continued uh, with the, the local missionaries. They kept doing everything because they didn't need us. When we go, we're there to support, equip, encourage, and, and be their cheerleaders and teach and train. And I love pastor training and I love helping them but it's not about us going in and being the savior of the world. I'm afraid that so many times we have a Messiah complex where we try to go in, we try to fix everyone and everybody. And that's dangerous. Only God can really transform people. We can't assume responsibility for someone else's behavior. That's a load that they have to carry. But we can care enough about them to walk along beside them and help them. We can care about our struggling brothers or sisters and help them shoulder the weight of that trial or temptation and tell them they can stand firm against it and not give in and not give up, that we are here for them. That's the culture I'm trying to talk about. And so um, here at Cornerstone, we want to create a space, we want to create a church where people can confess their struggles where people can find support, where people can experience healing. That's the church, right? That, that, a church that reflects Jesus. Um, I, I've often tell people that, and, and I mean this, right? Nothing you tell me is going to shock or surprise me. I've been doing ministry long enough now where I've heard a lot. And I, I know people are broken. It's not going to surprise me or shock me if you tell me. But I truly care enough about you to want the best for you and to want you to learn to to get back and to be reconciled to God and, and to find a way through the struggle that you're in. And so don't be ashamed. Don't let that pride keep you from opening up and sharing with each other and seeking help when you need it. Um just in closing this morning. Christ calls us to be His disciples. Which means that we need to learn from Him. We need to live like Him. The Christian life is all about obedience and conformity to Christ. We're growing in Christ-likeness. And and I just challenge us. Anytime we study one another, anytime we study Scripture, our question should be, does my life reflect Jesus? Am I doing the things that I'm reading about? Uh, we have a baptism coming up on August 20th uh, uh, out at Camp Dickinson on the river, uh, on the New River. Uh, man, I love baptism because it's such a symbolic way of showing my old life is dead. Now I've been raised to walk in this new life with Jesus. And we can only do that by the power of the Spirit that indwells us. And so, uh, my, you know, I just think if you've not been baptized yet, that, this is your opportunity to, 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 to make a clean break, to proclaim to the world, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of what He's done in my life. 
And so if you're even vaguely interested in that, come talk to me. I'd love to get you signed up for that. My question for you this morning, though, here's where I want you to really reflect on, on your life. Um, what can I do to lighten the load of my brothers and sisters who are struggling? What can I do? What can I, and, and honestly, it starts with simply caring enough to be observant and seeking out opportunities. It, it simply, it just means we're not so busy that we keep just not even noticing people who are struggling. And so that's the first question. And then the second question, what can we do together as a church to create this kind of culture of healing and restoration? Again, we're all broken, but we're not, we're not created to live in that brokenness. God calls us to a new way of life. And so we've got to be uh, honest with, with each other, but we've got to also, we've got to be honest with God. And so this morning, my question to you, do you really, is this, is this what is it in your life that's preventing you from, from really um, sharing burdens? Either sharing your own or caring enough to pick up someone else's. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you this morning. Your word, is, it's always so good. It just instructs us. It shows, it, it, I'm amazed each and every week how your word is so relevant to our life today. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every person here today. I know that there are many people struggling in many different ways. I pray that we would be the kind of church that is about healing, that's about redemption, that's about restoration. A church that doesn't give up on people. A church that cares about the hurting. A church, Lord, that really seeks ways that we can bear one another's burdens. And Lord, we know that when we put our faith in Jesus, when you save us, um, that you, you bring us into a new life. In Matthew 11, it says um, that if we are burdened, if we are heavy laden, if we come to Jesus, we'll find rest. And so this morning, there may be people here that need rest that need to lay down their burdens at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I know you can handle them. I can't handle them anymore. And so if you have never done that, if you've never laid your burdens down at the feet of Jesus, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then this morning, right here, right now, you can do that. You can surrender. You can yield to Jesus. And that's what salvation really is. It's saying, I'm no longer Lord of my life. I want Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to take over. I, I confess my sin. I confess my shortcomings. I know I've disobeyed. I know I've rebelled against you. But now, Lord, I'm turning to you. Lord, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that Jesus came um, to, to restore me, to reconcile me to God to pay the penalty for my sin. And because of that, Lord, I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save me. So, Lord, change me, transform me, save me, give me a new life, a new heart, a new passion for serving you, for helping others. And, Lord, I know I can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. So this morning, Lord, I just give it all to you. I'll lay it down. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.